you have a Bible, either a physical one or on your phone or device, uh, please turn to Ruth 4 now and follow with me. We will read this chapter together and it will be on the screen behind me. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, Sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you not, but if you will not, tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you will also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it yourself and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi the all the property of Elimelech, Kilion and Marlon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Marlon's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, 
Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. Michael, good morning Riverbank, uh, it's lovely to see you, uh, it's lovely to be with you. If I haven't met you, my name's Reuben, and I'm really looking forward to uh, digging into Ruth 4 together. Uh, thank you to those who've opened the Bible. Um, I think that's just a great thing to do as we come to God's Word. If you, if you want to turn to Ruth 4 now, uh, it's not too late. It's great that the words are on the screen as we read, especially if, if you're a new person or you don't have a Bible. Um, but, you know, if you're a regular and you're, you're a growing Christian, um, as a preacher, I love to see people with their Bibles open because I don't want you to just hear what Reuben says. I want you to be checking. I want you to be testing. I want you to be digging into God's Word uh, and enjoying it for yourself. Let's pray, and then we're going to do just that. We're going to get into the Bible. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that we have Bibles in our hands, on our phones. Lord, that they're so readily available and that they are actually your words to us. Uh, Father, we thank you that they're in English. We thank you that there's not just one Bible up the front here chained to the pulpit that most of us can't even read. We thank you that your word is alive and active and readily available to us this morning and we pray now, bring it alive. May it be relevant and exciting and life-changing for us, we pray, as we see Jesus again this morning. We ask this in his name. Amen. Well, I watched a video this week, uh, and it was of, a, of an artist, and the artist was painting a car. Uh, and I was, I was quite impressed. The artist was obviously talented, and the details on the car were quite nice. But then the camera started zooming out, and the car got smaller and smaller, and the camera zoomed out and out and out. And I started to realize that actually this painting was incredible. It was, it was hyper-realistic. It was super detailed. And the car, which had filled the screen, ended up being about the size of a five-cent piece on this big canvas. Uh, it was really just a tiny part of something so much bigger. And in a sense, I think that's, that's what we discover as we come to Ruth chapter 4 uh, this morning. And, and like any grand finale or any last scene in a movie... Uh, we expect, don't we, that the ending's going to be good. You know, we, we've come to, to like happy endings. We expect them, and we're hoping that that's going to be true for, for Ruth and Naomi and Boaz as well. But what we find in this chapter is not a happy ending. What we find is an astonishingly glorious ending, something that actually blows away our expectations. This morning, we're going to discover that the redemption God has been planning for Ruth and Naomi is bigger and better than they ever imagined. In fact, their redemption is so big and extravagant, it even reaches to us. You know, we're sitting here in Launceston in 2022, and yet we are actually going to be swept into the story of Ruth this morning and see a glimpse of our own redemption in these pages. So I want to invite you to come with me. And, and for all here this morning who might be going through difficult circumstances, for all who might be feeling weary or discouraged, for all who are wondering if life is all it's cracked up to be, who have a niggling feeling that there must be something more to live for, 
for all here this morning who are questioning God and wondering what is he doing. For all here this morning who are Christians but know that they are less excited about Jesus than they probably should be. For all who feel like the joys of heaven are so distant and far away. Come with me. Let's go to God's word and let's see what God is doing. Well, the action picks up right where we left off last week. And if you were here last week, you'll remember that this is the story of two desperate widows, Naomi and Ruth. And they have hatched a cunning plan and they have gone to the incredibly generous man, Boaz, and asked him to be their redeemer. And Boaz was eager to help, except that there was a problem. There was another man, another redeemer, who had first dibs. And now, as we pick up the action, Boaz is rushing into town, first thing in the morning, doesn't even stop at Gorilla for a takeaway coffee, he is that determined to sort this out. Uh, He arrives at the town gate in Bethlehem, Uh, the gate is really where the elders, the leaders of the city would meet to settle disputes, uh, to make legal decisions. And just as he gets there, did you notice, uh, lo and behold, it says, the man he wants to speak to just happens to come along. Uh, That's just another crazy coincidence that we keep seeing in the book of Ruth, isn't it? Or or perhaps, is it God working behind the scenes again? Well, Boaz, uh, who is sitting down, calls the other redeemer to to come and sit down. Uh, And he also asks ten other elders to, to come and sit down. And so they all sit down together. That's literally how it reads. Why the emphasis on sitting? Why that repetition? Because it was the position of authority. And that's what these verses are trying to show us. Everything here is legal and official and public. They're at the gate, the place of business. And they're sitting in the posture of business. And they're surrounded by people, by the elders who will witness the business. In other words, righteous Boaz is determined that the redemption of Ruth and Naomi will be done right. And it will be set in stone. Well... Verses 3 and 4, Boaz begins to explain the situation to the other redeemer. Poor Naomi, uh, she's been forced to sell her land, and you're the next in line to redeem her. So, are you willing to buy the land on her behalf, and are you willing to provide for Naomi? And the redeemer thinks to himself, well, there are definitely some costs involved, But Naomi is this older lady, Uh, she doesn't have any descendants, which means that when she dies, that land, well, who's it going to go to? It's going to come back to me. And so he says to Boaz, I will redeem it, I'm in. And we all say, no, we wanted Boaz to marry Ruth, not this random guy who doesn't even get a name, Mr. So-and-so. But it's okay. Boaz isn't done yet. In verse 5, have a look. He says, oh, by the way, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. And suddenly the Redeemer isn't so sure. Because marrying Ruth is suddenly getting a lot more costly. Now, he's not only providing for Naomi... Uh, but he's got to provide for Ruth, 
uh, and Ruth is of a childbearing age, so who knows how many kids they might have. And not only that, but, but the firstborn sons will grow up to inherit Naomi's land, and, and it won't ever be the Redeemer's to keep. So the Redeemer crunches the numbers in his head, and he realizes he can't afford it. I don't, I don't think he's sinful. He, he, he says that he's going to have to risk going bankrupt. He says, I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate, verse 6. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Uh, and then he, he takes off his sandal and gives it to Boaz. Uh, next time you're signing some legal contract with your signature, why don't you instead just take your shoe off and just give it to them? See how it goes. We really don't know what this action uh, symbolized, but the point is pretty clear. Mr. So-and-so has officially given up his right as Redeemer, and so now Boaz is next in line, and he is free to become the Redeemer. And so here he is, surrounded by witnesses, and he makes a legally binding commitment, I will marry Ruth and redeem Naomi. And it's the moment we've been waiting for. It's, it's great, isn't it? But there's a question worth asking at this point. Why is this scene described in so much detail? Why do we need to know about this other man who, who couldn't redeem Ruth and Naomi? Well, all of it seems to be drawing our attention to one main thing, which is the incredible cost that Boaz is willing to pay. Right here at this key moment in the book, in the moment of the act of redemption, we are reminded it is only possible because of the costly sacrifice of the Redeemer. And that's the first thing we want to notice this morning, that God's plan of redemption is more costly than we realize. God's plan of redemption is more costly than we realize. Every blessing that Ruth and Naomi are about to receive and enjoy has been bought at a cost. And so too for us as Christians, every blessing that we receive from God comes at a cost. In order to redeem us, Jesus had to meet all the legal requirements, the punishment that our sins deserved, and eternity in hell was placed on him. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And it didn't just cost him some money. It cost him his life, didn't it? 1 Peter 1.18 says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Nothing about our salvation was cheap or easy. We can sometimes forget this because it is so simple to be saved. It is so easy to walk into church. We didn't have to pay admission at the door this morning, did we? You didn't have to buy your ticket online. You aren't making repayments on your salvation loan each week. But that is not because your redemption was free. It's because Jesus paid for it with his own life. Which means that every time you confess your sins and enjoy forgiveness, every time you pray and you experience God's comfort and nearness, 
Every Sunday as we come together and enjoy being God's family, every time the Spirit stirs your heart and gives you hope and gives you joy, all of those blessings were bought at the greatest cost. They were paid for by the flowing red blood of the Son of God. Why do we need to know that? Because it shows us just how much our Redeemer loves us. And it, it awakens our hearts to be more appreciative of Jesus, more convinced of His kindness, and more committed to following Him. So that's our first point. God's plan of redemption is more costly than we realize. But now, the second thing that this passage shows us is that God's plan of redemption is better than we imagine. God's plan of redemption is better than we imagine. See, the moment that we've been waiting for comes in verse 13. Boaz marries Ruth. And then it says, The Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. You know, it's quite likely that Ruth was barren. Because remember that she had actually been married to Marlon for 10 years, and, and they hadn't had any kids. But now God himself steps in and gives them a child. And the storyteller says, don't miss this. This is God's doing. This is God's provision, God's kindness. It's a joyful moment for the newlyweds. And yet, surprisingly, verse 13 is gone in a flash, isn't it? And the focus quickly shifts away from Boaz and Ruth to Naomi. In fact, have a look at verse 17. The women of Bethlehem make this unexpected statement. Naomi has a son. Ruth and Boaz have a son. Naomi has a son. But when we think about it, this focus on Naomi is actually really appropriate, isn't it? Because really the whole book, the whole story has ultimately been about her. This, this grief-stricken widow who has reached a point of such despair and such depression that she felt God had abandoned her. And now just one year later, her bitterness turns to joy. Her emptiness turns to fullness. Death gives way to life. Despair gives way to hope. The idea that God might be working against her, well, it turns out, actually, He was working for her all along, mysteriously. And that's what the women of Bethlehem realize as they, they gather around Grandma Naomi. Uh, in verse 14, they say, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. God gets the praise because this is his doing. And as Naomi takes that baby in her arms and sniffs his newborn head and feels his little fingers wrapped around her thumb, Naomi experiences one of those precious moments when the kindness of God isn't something abstract or distant, but, but physical tangible. In this child, Naomi has proof God was showing His loving kindness to her all along. But actually, Naomi also has that proof in the person of Ruth, who's been with her all along. Look at what the women say in verse 15, your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. That is an amazing thing to say. I mean, for an Israelite, seven sons, that's the perfect number. That's a full quiver. 
but Ruth is worth more. In a story that may have seemed to have been all about needing a son, isn't it beautiful that the storyteller draws our attention to a woman who's not even an Israelite? It's a beautiful way to praise this godly woman who is a reflection of God's own loving kindness. The story of Naomi is a story about how God's loving kindness transforms our lives. It is a story of how God is at work for good even when we cannot see it. Uh, John Piper puts it like this. He says, the life of the godly is not a straight line to glory, but they do get there. It's like a mountain road, he says. There are, there are rock slides and precipices and dark mists and bears and slippery curves and hairpin turns that make you go backward in order to go forward. But all along this hazardous road that doesn't let you see very far ahead, there are frequent signs that say the best is yet to come. Piper goes on, taken as a whole, the story of Ruth is one of those signs. It was written to give us encouragement and hope that all the perplexing turns in our lives are going somewhere good. They do not lead off a cliff. In all the setbacks of our lives as believers, God is plotting for our joy. End quote. If you are in Jesus, you will come to a time in your life when you discover that every complaint that you made against God was unwarranted. That every doubt you had was unfounded. That every fear you had was unnecessary. Why? Because God is plotting for our joy. His plan of redemption is better than we can even imagine. We often talk, don't we, about how good it will be when Jesus comes back and, and makes all things new. But our tiny minds can't even really begin to conceive of the utter goodness, the joyfulness, the renewal that God is planning for his people. That brings us to our third and final point. We've seen that God's plan of redemption is costlier than we realize, and better than we even imagine. Now, finally, this passage shows us that God's plan of redemption is bigger than we think. God's plan of redemption is bigger than we think. If you think that the book of Ruth is really a story of God providing a redeemer for Naomi, oh, you're only half right. Because throughout this chapter, we find hints and clues that God is actually also doing something much bigger than that. Uh, we see a hint of it in verse 11 and 12. The people pray for Boaz and Ruth before their marriage. And they pray that, that Ruth would be like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. Uh, you might remember back in Genesis, Rachel and Leah, along with their two maids, uh, were the mothers of the 12 sons of Jacob, the, the 12 tribes of Israel. And now the prayer is that Ruth would be like those women. In other words, God used Ruth to create a dynasty. To be part of building up the line of Israel, which will ultimately lead to the promised Savior of the world. 
And that is a big hint, isn't it, that something is about to happen which will change the course of salvation history. And then there's another hint in verses 14 and 15. The women of Bethlehem say to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. And then, and then if you look closely in the verses following, we realize that the redeemer they're talking about is not actually Boaz, but Obed. Why is Obed called a redeemer? Well, partly because he will redeem Naomi's line, carry it on. But also, I think, because from his descendants will come another redeemer. Do you see it there in verse 17? We're told that Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David. That is King David, the great king of the Old Testament, the one who would bring Israel out of the dark, sinful era of the judges, which we're in right now, and into a kingdom of righteousness. And Obed is David's granddad. And then as if that isn't grand enough, it's also from the line of Obed that God will ultimately provide the promised Savior of the world, the Messiah, the King of Kings, the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. You know that genealogy at the end there in verses 18 to 22? We might think that's a bit of a weird way to end a book with a list of names. But this genealogy is picked up again in Matthew 1. You can read it there. It says, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. And then, after a whole lot of generations in between, we come to Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the, fa- was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. What's going on here? Well, we have just been immersed into a far greater story than just the story of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz, haven't we? These, those characters, they, they kind of suddenly fade into the background, and we discover that God's plan of redemption is far bigger than we thought. It's a plan that was made before the creation of the world. And it was foretold in Genesis 3 when humanity fell into sin. And it was acted out as God redeemed his people Israel from Egypt. And it was promised to David when he was told that he would have an eternal kingdom. And then it was ultimately fulfilled in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of God's cosmic, eternal, glorious plan of redemption. And so this genealogy in Ruth, well, it's really an invitation from the storyteller to zoom out and see how everything in this book finds a greater fulfillment in Jesus. Think about that for a minute. Think about who we've met in this story. Kind and generous Boaz. Isn't he a small foretaste of the greater Redeemer who would redeem us from our sins? And, And Obed, And King David, aren't they a small foretaste of the eternal kingdom that King Jesus is building? And what about Moabite Ruth? A small foretaste of who will be included in this kingdom. Not just Jews, but people from all nations. And Naomi, a small foretaste of God's abundant blessing and provision that his people will enjoy in that new kingdom. 
And what I really want us to say at this point is, wow. Wow, look at what we are a part of. Look at that plan of redemption that you and I have been brought into and have the privilege of participating in. Let me tell you, God is a lot busier than we think. He's busy with a lot more than just making sure that you and I are comfortable and that we get Teslas for Christmas. He's doing a lot more than just make sure that our ministries at Riverbank chug along and the holes in the rosters get filled. Because of his loving kindness, God is redeeming the world through Jesus Christ. He is saving sinners. He is healing the sick, raising the dead. He is liberating prisoners. He is bringing righteousness and justice and peace. And when we think about that, it should rip the blinkers off our eyes. It should jumpstart our dead hearts. It should wake us up from the stupefying lies of our world that tell us that you and I are really just living for the next episode of our favorite TV show, or that party next weekend, or the next game of footy, or when the home reno is finally done, or when the grandkids next come to visit. Our culture is obsessed with trivial things, and if you don't watch out, it will shrivel your soul. And in Jesus we discover what I think we already knew, which is that we were made for so much more. We were made to worship and to serve the glorious King of Kings. Now, I'm not saying that each of us have to leave here today and do something so grand that it makes news headlines. What I'm saying is that as we seek to faithfully love God, love each other, love the lost in our community, which is our mission as a church, it's on the wall out the front, we're actually participating in God's great plan of redemption. Like Ruth and Boaz, we actually have the privilege of being God's hands and feet in this world, generous and kind and faithful. Uh, uh, The picture I have in my head is a garden hose and a sprinkler. It's not the most glamorous illustration, I think it works. God is the tap. He is the source of all loving kindness. Jesus is the hose, pumping that loving kindness into our lives. He's the loving kindness of God in the flesh given to us. And then you and I are the sprinkler, spreading His loving kindness all around us. And through that, the grass is watered and the nations hear the gospel of Jesus. I think that's kind of how the book of Ruth works. Who does God use? He uses people like Ruth and Boaz, people like you and me, and it's through us that God will spread His loving kindness to every school, to every building site, to every dining table in Launceston, and and beyond to the ends of the earth. So as we close, I want to ask you a practical question. Who might God be calling you to love? Who could you show His loving kindness to? You know, think about the types of people in this story. Uh, A mother-in-law. A wife or a husband. Someone elderly who is finding the later years of life to be very difficult. Someone poor or unemployed. 
someone who is struggling and despairing of hope, someone outcast, perhaps an immigrant, perhaps someone who is mocked or just overlooked by the cool kids, or someone who lies outside of the people of God, who has never heard of Jesus, who has never been told that they would be welcome here at church next week. Never dreamed that God might actually be kind and loving and eager to redeem helpless sinners. So I wonder who could you show God's loving kindness to? And, and how? What, what might you do for them, even, even today, even this week? We aren't just nice to people because it's nice to be nice. We're nice to them because we want to draw them into to be part of God's amazing plan of redemption. Let's go out into this week and let's show the loving kindness of God in word and in deed. Let's speak about Jesus and what he's done, the Redeemer, and let's show his love in how we live. And as we do that, let's remember that God's plan of redemption is better and bigger than we can even imagine. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this story. We thank you for providing redemption for Naomi. We thank you that all along, through all of her hardships and sufferings, you were plotting for her joy and for your glory. We thank you that you proved that to her, that she had the privilege of seeing that, of feeling that, as she held Obed in her arms. But we thank you that you were doing more than that as well. We thank you that from Obed came David, and from David came Jesus, our Redeemer, the Savior of the world. We thank you for him. We thank you that he is loving kindness, kindness to sinners like us. We pray that we would be the hands and feet of Jesus this week. We pray that Riverbank would be a community that is incredibly kind that points everyone to the Redeemer, especially those who are vulnerable, who are outcast, who the world may overlook, people who, humanly speaking, are beyond help. Lord God, we pray, through us, would you build your kingdom? Would you save the lost? Would you glorify your name until all of us are with you one day when you make all things new and you blow all of our expectations out of the water as we see just how glorious your plan of redemption really is. We pray this in the name of our reigning King, Jesus. Amen.